that group that you can trust to to hand over people that and can that we can nurture and grow them. And we thank you for the opportunities. Help us to be aware of them, and help us to be uh, be mindful of of what needs to be done in their lives. Father, thank you. Thank you for the blessing of it. Bless us as we study today. Help us to learn and help us to grow. And help us have the courage, Father, to, to apply the things that we learn to our lives. And thank you so much, always, for your Son who makes all of this possible. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. First, uh, First Timothy chapter 5. For those of you who have not been in here for a while, people have been watching that have not been here, not been watching. Timothy. First Timothy is a letter written by Paul. To a, to a young man named Timothy, and he's and he preaches at Ephesus. Ephesus is a is a it's probably not the most uh, likely place you would expect a guy to leave a young preacher, because it was a it was a cesspool, it was bad, and he leaves this young preacher there. So he must have had a complete amount of confidence in this young man to leave him there. So when you read this thing, understand something. This letter was not written to you. Okay, it was not written to you. It was written to Timothy. We can learn some things from it. And we learned, we've learned a bunch already. And as we, leave, as we look at these two letters, we're going to learn in the rest of this one and the second one. We're going to learn even more. And then when we get through with that, we're going to go to the book of Titus. And we're going to see what, what Paul writes to, to Titus. He'll write some of the same things. But here, in this chapter, he has been given instructions for the church. How the church is supposed to conduct itself. Okay? Now, understand something we've already learned. All right? The church is the household of God. It is not a building, not brick and stone. It's not got a name out front and says, this we, we identify here. That's not what the church is. The church is people. It is a, is a call. The word in the Greek is ekklesia, and it means the called out ones. When, uh, when you see the, the, uh, uh, the first converts on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when they ask Peter, what can we do? Is there anything we can do to fix what we've done? Because they have just been confronted with the fact that they killed the only Son of God. And they asked, what can we do? And he said, repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then if you go all the way down, the rest of that, and it's fine, we find that 3,000 of them are baptized that day. And then we find what they start doing. They start fellowshipping together, and they start eating together, and they, start, and they don't go home. They don't leave. They stay in Jerusalem. And it becomes the church. And if you look at the last the last verse of that chapter, in chapter 2, it says, And God added to their number daily those who were being saved. That word, added to their number, that word is ecclesia. It's the word we use for church. And some translations, some of the early translations, have an added to the church daily those who were being saved. Call out once. That's what the church is. And if we're going to be that here, we're going to be the called out ones. Okay? Then we better learn from what he tells Timothy to tell the church at Ephesus, because he could tell us the same thing today. How do you how do you treat your old people? How do you treat younger people? How do you how do you treat people in the world? What kind of lifestyle are you supposed to live? What kind of person are you supposed to be? How are you supposed to conduct yourself in this deal? And then and then one other thing we learned is that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. If we don't have the truth, if we're not willing to teach the truth, we're not willing to stand on the truth. If we're not willing to be obedient to the truth, then God will abandon us. And we'll be just like every other place out there, teaching some nonsense out there, teaching some doctrine, some prosperity doctrine or whatever, teaching something that, uh, that appeals to people's sensitivities, appeals to their mindset, appeals to their heart, but doesn't have anything to do with the truth. 
You know, I could list I could list a, a list of names of preachers out there that I've listened to over the last year, year and a half, and I've heard not one time something that would nurture people into into Jesus Christ and being and being understanding what what sin means and what repentance is and what judgment is and what hell is going to be like. We can't be like that. If God's going to be able to use us, if He's going to be able to use us to nurture His His people that He's calling by the gospel, because that's what Second Thessalonians said. He calls people by the gospel. He calls people by the plan, his plan of salvation, which culminated and ended and, and, and had its beginning and roots in Jesus hanging and dying on the cross. And then coming out of the tomb on the third day. Right? And if we're not going to be willing to stand for that, stand up and, and be counted worthy of that, then he can't use us to nurture those people that we're that we, uh, that we may have in our lives, have in our family, because we'll teach them the same garbage that we're believing, if that's what we do. So we've got to decide if, if what we're going to be. Are we going to be the pillar and foundation of the truth? Are we going to be the household of God? And not, you know, I, I've told you, that building, that we're gonna, this here and over here, this is not the church, guys. It's not. That building becomes holy when we walk in there, because we're holy, because we've been set apart by God. It's just brick and stone and carpet and pews and you know you could we could get out in the parking lot and do exactly what we're doing over there. May not be as comfortable. May not. But we'd still be called the church. You know, when you drive by here and you see Adel when he's there, that's not the church. That's where the church meets. Okay? That's where the church meets. You know, and, and we we're here this morning to worship. To study and to grow into worship. And we're going to learn from this text and from what he tells this young man and what we can apply to ourselves. And, the, and last week we talked about elders. You know, the first century church had elders. What were elders for in the first century church and in the, and today? What were they for? They were, they were supposed to lead the church in truth. What, else? what, are they, what were they for? What, were they, what was their job? From the biblical perspective, what was their job? Shepherd the flock. Huh? Shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. They were the shepherds. You know, it galls me when I listen to somebody online and I see, and they call pastor this, pastor that, and uh, and they have no they have no credentials to be a pastor because that word in the Greek is another word they use for these men that were in this office of eldership, <coughs> pastor. Cole is not our pastor, guys. Okay, you understand that? He will be the first one to tell you he's not our pastor. He's a minister. That's what he is. He's not a pastor. He doesn't have the credentials. He doesn't have the qualifications to be one at this point in his life. So when you look at this, and he was talking about elders, and he said, and what we looked at last week, he said, and 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 elders that are that are willing to teach and to preach and to do those things are worthy of double honor. And we talked about that there were they were uh, it was okay for them to be paid. Okay? But here's another part of this. I want you to look at at uh, uh, at verse 20. Well, verse 19. It says, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warnings. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. How many of you... Uh, How many of you have ever been around a, a place, a, a place that called itself a church, that had a difficulty with an eldership? 
How many of you have seen that? How'd that turn out, Larry? How does it turn out usually? Not good. Yeah, turn. Did you have a? It was it was it because sin in the camp? Was that was it what the reason was? That's what you think? Okay. Anybody else? You know, whether whether an eldership that had that had issues. Okay. I want to take you back to a text. We're going to look at Acts chapter twenty. So you want to turn back over there. And the reason I'm dealing with this text is is because uh, this is the same group of men that he's writing about in 1 Timothy chapter 5. When he tells Timothy, if you have an elder that has a problem, don't even entertain an accusation against him unless you have two or three witnesses. At least two or three. Not some frivolous thing, but don't show partiality. If you like one guy and don't like the other guy, you may have five, six, seven, ten elders, whatever, and you may not like one of them. You can't show partiality. No favoritism. They all got to be treated the same. It's what he's telling Timothy. Now, Paul calls for the same group of men. He calls for him to come to where he's at in Miletus. And he said, and look at verse, uh, uh, chapter 20, let's see, verse 25, no, verse 28, all right? Now, he's called for these elders to come to meet with him, all right? That's where they, they, they're gone. They, he's called them from Ephesus, and they've come to be with him. And I want you to listen to what he said. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with, with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the work of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What is he telling these guys? What did he tell them? What is he tell? What is he warning over here? He said, "There's going to come a time, Timothy, when this is going to happen, and you're need, going to need to confront these guys. But make sure you know what you're doing. Make sure that when you do this, you don't do it frivolously or flippantly. Make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. If you're going to bring an accusation against one of these men, you better have your ducks in a row. Nothing worse for a church than to accuse someone." Uh, that where they didn't do anything and somebody because they have a axe to grind they have a grudge they make an accusation especially in our culture today our culture today people give you know i mean we've taken you know i've taken steps in my walk and things that i do things that i do with other people man i there is no way that i'm going to be alone in a room with a female by myself not going to happen not going to happen there's too much chance that could, that, you know, my wife's going to be there, somebody else is going to be there, I'm going to have, or we're going to do it in an open room where there's cameras, where somebody knows what's going on. Because there's just, you set yourself up and you can be accused unjustly, people get, that happens all the time. But here he says, tells this young man, these guys that I taught, that he called me, that was before he wrote this letter, okay? And he, and he tells them, among your own number, among your own number, there's going to be wolves are going to rise up, and what are they going to do? They're going to destroy the flock. They're going to try to destroy the flock. He said, you be careful. He said, because of his church, if you look back at that check and you look back at verse 28, he says, the church of God, which Jesus purchased, wow, with his own blood. Jesus purchased the church. We come in contact with the blood when we're, when we're obedient to him. When we repent, we're baptized, and we're obedient. God adds us, takes us out of the world, adopts us, and puts us in the church. Puts us in that called out, that ecclesia. Okay? That's what the scripture says. I know there are people out there teaching that's not true. I'm telling you what the book says. You just read it. 
he called he he uh, uh, he called these guys and said, "I want you to understand what you're in charge of. You're in charge of the Church of the Living God, wherever you are." Okay, and so you better you better conduct yourself wisely because I'm telling you, there's going to be guys going to spring up out of your own number, out of your own number. Guys going to spring up, and they're going to come in. They're going to eat some of your some of your some of your fluff. So you have to be careful. You know what do you think an elder should do? How do you how should you how should he conduct them? Well, I mean, when his job is to shepherd the flock and he knows that there are evil, evil, evil out there. What is, what is what's his job? What what should he do? Tell me. Pray. Pray. Absolutely. What you just said. Be very aware. Be aware, very aware. Okay. Into situations. Okay. Be aware of things that the that the sheep may not be aware of. Right. Sheep may not know anything about what they, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, how far should a shepherd go? How far can he go when he knows that there's evil at the door? What, what could he? What should he do? Have another witness with him. Have another witness. Okay. All right. According to this, you must confront that person with their sin. Okay. What if that doesn't work? Sure. Yeah, Larry. That's true. I told the rest of the guys one time we had somebody that wanted to come in here, and we had already told them not to come back, and they'd already had caused some great havoc in some people's lives, and uh, and it was, uh, you know, and somebody somebody had got, went to prison over them, somebody almost went to prison. I caught them in a lie, and I called the detective, and I said I need to talk to you, and he came to my shop, and I said I want to tell you what I know. I told what I told you, but I know something now that I didn't know then. And I told him, and that guy got off, you know. And and this individual wanted to come back about four or five years later and wrote us a letter. And I looked at the group and I said, you guys do whatever you want to do. I said, but I'm going to stand at the door of the bat. And I said, I'm, I'm going to, I said, I'll stand at the door of the bat. I'll go to jail, but that person is not coming back in this building. I'm not going to have another guy, you know, be threatened and maybe go to, maybe have to go to prison over, over this person and what they're doing because they haven't changed. I know that they haven't changed. I don't care what it says in that letter. They haven't changed. Show me your change, and I'll be the first one on your doorstep saying, welcome back. But, you know, I think, you know, they're, you know the, the scripture talks about someone standing in the gap. Okay? I preached a sermon on that. Are, are we going to be people that stand in the gap? And, and an elder has to be a person who's willing to stand in the gap no matter what it costs. No matter what. And sometimes it's going to put you at odds with people. It just will. So, but he's got to have that kind of character. And he, and he tells Timothy, he said, these guys are out there. These guys are doing it. He said, you make sure you protect them. Don't show favoritism. No, impart no partiality. But make sure you protect these guys. And if they need to be confronted, what do you, how do you confront them? Confront them in front of the, the other group of the elders and in front of everybody. Why? Why is that so important? To confront them in front of everybody. So you have a yep. witness. Go ahead. Maybe some other people have other things that, like, they can, you know, confirm what you're thinking. They'd be like, well, you know, I've seen this too, or I've seen this also. So, like, once somebody brings something out, other people will maybe get the strength to bring up issues that they okay. saw also. Okay. All right. What were you going to say, Barbara? I just said uh, you need someone else to be a witness to what is actually said. Okay. Well, I mean, what if it? What if the, it's clear? Everything, everybody is, is made. You know, it's all clear. And now it's time to confront them. You've, you've gone to them in love. You know, you've you've gone to them and you and you've confronted them, and it didn't go well. 
and now you're ju now you have to confront them in front of the church, or you have to confront them in front of the rest of the eldership or the church. You know, uh, what is that? Yeah, go ahead, Larry, before I get. Yes. Yeah, he has. And and I think and not that it's any more important whether it's somebody else or but but when it's a shepherd in the Lord's church who has the responsibility to shepherd and to lead, you know, it's more critical that it's done, you know, where where people can see. You know, if let's say that, that I fall, I sin for some reason, I'll get and, and you're gonna take me before the church. What is it gonna what is it gonna say to the rest of the folks? They say if they'll confront him in front of everybody. Then I need to get my act together because because I know that there, there's no partiality here, there's no special special treatment here. If they confronted him, they'll confront anyone. Somebody else had their hand up. Yeah, Larry. Okay, so tell me because of the scripture, that because of the scripture, that because of the scripture, that because of the scripture, absolutely. Well, they take that right out of the book of Deuteronomy. Because that God said, don't hold an accusation against anyone unless it's by two or three witnesses. You can't, you know, that that's why when they when they brought the witnesses about Jesus, they lied. They lied. They told him what to say and they said it. Oh yeah, I heard him say that. They didn't hear him say anything. That nothing of the kind. But that's how that's the only way they could do it under their law legally was to have two or three witnesses. So that's what he's saying. That's he's he's referring back to the old testament where God said was very specific. Have two or three witnesses. Don't entertain an accusation, you know, without two or three witnesses. And that's what he's talking about. So I think, yeah, I think it's a, it should be that way for anybody. But especially when you're talking about leadership. Leadership, you know, I mean, we see when, when you can't confront leadership in a country. You know, when you can't confront leadership in a, in a business. or You know, what happens? The leadership, the, 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 the ugly will take over at some points. Yes, ma'am. Linda, you have that? No. And if you don't confront it no. out publicly like that, then it's still hidden. Yeah. It's still festers in it. Yeah. It's still gross. And sin, what, what Linda's saying for you guys online is, is you can't you can't hide sin. You have to confront sin. He's already told them that this is gonna happen in the eldership. Okay? He's already told them. It's gonna be devastating for the church in Ephesus. It's gonna be devastating. Alright? It's devastating for any church when that happens. But if it happens in a in a in a in a young church or even an older church where where people are setting their ways and you start to have the sin in the leadership, it can it can destroy a church.
most of people are going to begin their walk with Christ. You know how they're going to how they're going to begin it? Watching somebody else walk. That's what they do. And so if we're not if we're going to show favoritism and we're going to click and we're going to give this person the benefit of the doubt when it's obvious that something's going on, that's a problem. So we need to ask ourselves: Are we willing to, to put sin out there and say, you know, I had a I had Friday night class, you know, and had somebody came that hadn't been here before, hadn't been to class before, walked in. And I gave, there was an opportunity, and a person stood up and said something that I knew was going on, but the church doesn't know. And I'm not going to, that's just, that was for Friday night class, okay? You guys need to keep that under your hat, whatever. But he got up and he said, I have a problem with this. I already knew it, but it wasn't something I could share, okay? And he, he put it out there. Now he's got 15 people praying for him because he's got this issue. You know, that means he has the confidence to come into that room, look around the room and say, I'm going to put my life on the line. I'm going to put myself out there, and here it is. Here's the sin in my life, and here's what I'm doing, and I need your help. Then, I mean, it was pretty awesome. I was shocked. I had no clue it was coming. You know, he just they just walked in, and I'm going, wow. You know, and I knew as soon as he stood up, I knew what he was going to do. And it was it was pretty it was pretty awesome. But that shows the comfortable and the and the confidence that someone had. To come here. That's what we need to be, guys. The people are confident and comfortable. You know, look at what he said. He tells it, and he tells uh, uh, Timothy, he said, Do not be hasty in laying on of hands. I think, I think what he's talking about is when you restore someone, when you put someone in place, make sure you've done your homework. He said, Be careful. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. He said, You know, look at it, because it's in the context of eldership. I think that's in anything we do, in any kind of ministry we do. Be careful. Watch out what you're doing. Make sure that, that you, have, you haven't put your stamp of approval on something that really shouldn't have your stamp of approval on. Now that you've done that, now you're sharing part of the problem. Because someone's looking and saying, well, you said they were okay. You said they were good. You said they were past all this. And then now you got them back in the same hole they were in. And now you're now you're part, partly guilty. He says, keep yourself pure. You know, what is it? What is it going to take to keep ourselves pure so that when people come here the first time, when they come here the first time, they don't see someone here and say, if that person goes there, I ain't never coming back. I've had that happen to me. In a Bible study, I've had that happen to me. Someone said, if that person's there, you won't ever see me in your church. And I'm going, yeah, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to, how am I supposed to combat that? What, what do you do when that happens? I don't want to be the one that somebody said, I know that person, and I ain't never going back over there. I'm never going there. Or, man, I'm so glad I found this place. Thank you for, for sharing it and bringing it with You know, I mean, we we y'all know Rosie. We've, we've been dealing with Rosie for a while. We met her at, at Walmart where we met her. And uh, and Tim's the one that met her. I happened to walk in line right behind him, and he introduced me, and it's been we've been going at it, tag-teaming her for, for, a couple, for a year now. You know, and and uh, if y'all were here Wednesday night, you saw I was studying with her and with Matthew Velasquez, and I had them. They were that close to deciding they want to be baptized. They still got some th issues they got to deal with, and they want to deal with. But you know, the you know only what she said, she said, "I love this place." She said, "You made me feel so comfortable because you know what she's afraid of that you're going to judge her just like everybody else does. That you're going to look at her and say, you know, that you're going to she's going to stand in judgment." Because of this or that that you may know about her. And I said, you're not going to find that here. You're not going to find that here. So, you know, when you when you look at, at yourself and say, okay, when I look at this, how can I make sure 
that I keep myself pure. So that I will not be a stumbling block in somebody's life that comes in maybe off the street. I don't want to be a stum the stumbling block. Okay? Now, let's move on. Any questions? Anything? Let's go. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. We're only holy because we are saved by Jesus. Absolutely. But there's a place for everyone here because we are imperfect. And yeah. Jesus went out to, to the people who needed a position. Absolutely. Yeah. And I and I in that class we were dealing with how does Jesus confront people when he catches them in sin? What does he do? And that's what we were dealing Friday night. And and the one individual that I've been studying with said that I have this issue and I don't I can't be baptized. Because I got this issue. And so I looked around the room and I asked them, I said, how many of you had an issue in your life when you were baptized? How many of you had one? I said, how many of you had one after you were baptized? And I said, wait a minute, how many of you still got one? And I said, and I said, everyone, I looked at and I said, every one of us had issues. The transformation process starts when we commit ourselves to Christ. And then it carries on, you know, do, do you want him when he comes back to find you still in that transformation phase, or does he want? Or do you want him? You stand in front of the mirror and said, "God, I'm perfect, man. Ain't no, I can't get no better than this." Is that where you want him to find you, man? I'm flawed. I am. I have flaws, and it's always going to be that way. First John chapter one and verse eight says, "It says if I say I have no sin, I'm a liar. The truth's not in me." So you know when you look at this, my my pure thought, my pure attitude, whatever it is, you know, I've got to strive to let Jesus, the great physician, heal me. He worked. He, he's on call here, guys. This is a hospital. He's the only doctor on call. The only one here. Okay? And he's on call to help us with whatever infirmities we have. And every one of us has got them. I tell people all the time. I said, you know, everybody that you see on Sunday morning, they're in one state of recovery or another. They none of them fixed. They're just in one state of recovery or another. Every one of them. All right, let's move on. Okay. And he says in verse 23, stop drinking only water. Now, this is to Timothy, right? Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. You know, he drops this in, and you know what I've seen people do? Oh, you see, he's saying it's okay to drink. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, guys. You know, I, 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 I've had people tell me, oh, you see, it's okay to drink. Well, they had, they had a couple of beer bottles in their hand. Trying to have an excuse so they can get drunk, they can do what they want to do. And here he said, oh, Timothy was told, the wine they had was very weak, okay? You know, but I remember, I remember my grandfather going to the doctor back in the day, and he had a bottle in his, in his he had a bottle of alcohol. And he, and he called it a shook. He said, I have to take a shook every day. You know, and he had a little jigger next to it, and every evening he took a he took a shot of alcohol. You know, for his heart. You know, hey, I'm a kid, man. You know what I thought? God, I can't wait till I get a little older. <laughs> That's what I thought. You know, but you know, I, and I don't know that they that they recommend that anymore. But what I'm saying is, is in the day that was part of the medicinal things for alcohol. They would do that. Okay, so you know, I mean, and here he tells him, he said. What is, what's wrong with Timothy here? He's got a stomach problem. What do you think may be wrong with him? You've read the first five chapters. What do you think may be wrong with him? He got an ulcer. <laughs> he got an ulcer, man. He is, he is scrambling. 
He's a young preacher. He's probably in his late twenties, maybe early thirties, is what he is. And he's got and he's got this this quagmire that he's involved in. They already tried to kill Paul before they ran him off. They tried to kill him. They tried to stone him to death. Okay, they tried. And Paul leaves him there. I don't know if that was a blessing or a curse, but they left him there. And so he said, "Man, you know, because of your frequent illnesses, I'm gonna, you need to take a little wine for your stomach." And, and partly too, a lot of the water they had was impure. They didn't have, they didn't, they couldn't go get Ozarka bottled water. You know, the water they drank was not pure, and it would, and it could cause problems. You know, you, you get your stomach might get used to it, but for this young man, he he is he's hurting, and he Paul tells him, he says, you need to take some wine. Now look at what he says. Now this, the, look at these next two. I hope we can get to them. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are obvious cannot remain hidden forever. What is a sin that's obvious? Tell me a sin that's obvious, that, that it reaches judgment ahead of you. Armed robbery. Especially if you do it in front of a camera. They got you. They know who you are, and if you're wearing a name tag, it says, Dan Spade Elder. You know, they know who I am, they know what I look like, and they know the size of my gun. And I just robbed a bank. You know? That's pretty obvious, right? Give me another one. A sin that's obvious. Because he said, he said the sins of some are obvious. Theft. Huh? Theft. Theft. Okay. Pride. Pride. <laughs> yep. How, how do you know when someone's got the sin of pride? It's obvious. Talk to them for five minutes. <laughs> Talk to them for five minutes. What, what else? Give me another sin that's obvious. It said, it, listen to what it said. It says, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. God's already heard it. God's already got it. He's already judging it already. Huh? Murder? Murder? Give me another one. Adultery. That one, can, that one you can keep. That one's one of those ones that you can keep kind of hidden. You can hide it for a while. For a while. But like this text said, it'll always come up. It'll, it'll always catch you at some point. But that's concerned that most people are not going to, not like David's son, Went out on the street and did it with his with David's wife. That's not, you know, most people if they're gonna commit adultery, they're gonna sneak around and hide, right? Not gonna be out in the open. What what's another one that's out in the open? Profanity. Profanity. Profane. Being having profanity. Okay. Abuse. Abuse. Sometimes you can hide that one too, though. I mean, most people, uh, you can hide that. You can hide whatever it is. I mean, you, it's a little harder to hide physical abuse. The sexual abuse people hide all the time. Man, I've dealt with it too many times and seen seen women crushed over it because somebody touched them, you know, or even worse when they were young. And it just crushes them. You know, they're they they just I mean, they're broken most of their lives. So, you know one of the ten commandments. Okay. One of the but even some of those you can you can hide them. You can covet someone's stuff and you can hide that to a point. It kind of goes along with pride. You can hide it some. You know, but, you know, not worshiping God. You can act like you worship God. God said, I think the first one is, I'm the Lord your God, I have no other gods before me. Right? And that's for, can't, how many people do you know that have hidden the gods they have in their life so that you don't know about it? They hide what they, what they perceive as God to them. You know, they buy a brand new car, and it, and it becomes in a moment their God. becomes what they worship. Kids can't touch it. Kids can't ride in it. Kids can't do this. Can't do that because it's something. 
it's it's their it, it becomes their god. You can hide that to a point. There's a there's a lot of them. You know, I've 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 known people that are that are. Uh, They're too flirty. Okay? And I've seen some guys that know exactly who to do that with and exactly who not to do it with. You know, especially if you're dealing with someone that's broken. You know, this is something you can hide, but not for long, because it will catch you at some point. You know, the the where you where you say certain things to certain people, you say certain things to to a man, you say certain things to a woman, and just when you know they're the most vulnerable, you say something to them, and you know what response it may get, or you're seeking to see if you, that's a, that's a sin that's, that can devastate. It's a, it's horrible when people do that. You know, and, and I've seen that happen before. Okay? I've had it happen to me before. You know, I've had people say things to me before that I said, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm backing out of this in a hurry because this is not going to be healthy. So what I'm telling you is, that whether you're doing sinful or whether you're doing good deeds, you, God's gonna God's gonna know what you're doing, and you can't hide it. Even even when He says, "Don't let the right hand know what the left hand's doing," remember, who's gonna know? Who's gonna know? The people at the right hand and the left hand are getting used, getting done to when it's good deeds. They'll know, and your and your reputation. You know, you find out things about someone who died. I found out, you know, I, I knew Bobby Fudge for my, you know, before when I was a baby Christian. And I remember him in the old building walking by that, you know where that old water cooler is that way down there? I remember seeing him as he walked around that corner. We're worshiping in that, where the gym is now. That's where we're And I saw him walking around with some guy. And I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea. He was going during worship to study with this guy. And he studied with him and baptized him later on. You know, nobody knew about that. Nobody saw the things he did like that, you know, until much later. Or the things that Roy did. You know, the things that he said, the things that he did. You know, they came out much later. So he had to die for some of that stuff to come out. And people would say, I saw this. Or someone like Cliff. I mean, we were we did a memorial service on a Saturday, and we, were, we had an open mic. It was an hour and 45 minutes is what it took because everybody wanted to get up and talk. Things I didn't have a clue. I didn't know any of this stuff that that young man had done. It was just, it was amazing. So anyway, we're going to pick it up. We're going we're gonna to start in Chapter 6. This is going to be about slaves, but it's more about employers and employees what we're going to talk about okay so let's we'll see you guys next week thank you for watching and i uh, hope you enjoy it and come back next week Yeah.